Hello and welcome to American View on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm Ben Dietrich, your host here. Good to be with you on this Friday. It is January 24th, 2020, um, and we're coming to you from Hillsdale, Michigan. we got a lot to talk about today. Of course, there is the March for Life happening in Washington, D.C. A lot of Hillsdale students are out there today um, marching for the unborn and Aside from that, of course, this week was also a big week for impeachment as the Senate began its opening arguments. They set the rules as well earlier this week. Mitch McConnell with some big wins early on um, in this trial. The Republican caucus voted all together um, in basically establishing the same rules that they did during the Clinton impeachment trials. Um, The Democrats tried really hard to get witnesses off the bat. Um, to break from precedent, and they did not succeed, even after Nadler accused the Senate of being on trial. More on that later. For now, I'm Ben Dietrich, and we're going to go to Andrew Sheffs, who's on the phone with us right now. He's one of the many Hillsdale students who is marching outside today in Washington, D.C. for the unborn. Um, This is a big year, of course, since this is the first time the president will be addressing the march. Uh, Andrew, good morning. How's it going out there? Things are great. D.C. is filling up with people. Uh, traffic is super heavy, but it's great to be back in D.C. Yeah, so tell me, um, did you take the bus last night, or did you drive in by yourself? And uh, how many Hillsdale uh, students do you think are around? Uh, a group of ATO brothers drove out uh, last night and are staying at a friend's house, but Hillsdale sent out a few buses again this year. Um, looking like a larger crowd this year out here in D.C. Um, due to the president's speaking. Uh, President Trump's going to be the first president to be speaking at this March for Life, um, and I think it's just amazing. Yeah, so is this your first time then, so I'm, or have you been there before? This is my second time at the March. I went last year with the college as well. Gotcha. And, the, and you said the crowd seems bigger. Um, you know, is it, would you say, relatively peaceful out there? Any counter-protests going on? Very, very peaceful. I have not seen a single protest yet. You've got your uh, couple guys up on doing their stump speeches on boxes, but other than that, I have not seen a single issue. Mm-hmm. And, and the president is supposed to speak on the, the National Mall, correct? He will be. He will be. Very exciting stuff. So what, what made you want to travel, you know, the eight, nine-hour drive out all the way to Washington, D.C. for this uh, march today? I was thinking about that a little bit on the drive out here because, like you said, it's eight and a half, nine hours, and you're driving through the hills of Pennsylvania, and you're like, why am I doing this? But uh, it kind of dawned on me why I'm actually marching this year, and it it goes out, and it's kind of a personal story, but I'd like to share it with you because I think it's kind of touching and and meaningful a little bit. Uh, A close family friend of ours through our parish and church um, became pregnant a couple months ago, well, over a year ago now, and... uh, Recently, she found out that the, the infant and the baby in the womb was going to have a heart defect. And she was kind of posed with the decision as if she wanted to deliver or abort the baby. And she decided to deliver the baby. And she received a whole bunch of help and the funding for the surgeries that were going to be necessary directly upon the birth of the baby. 
And so C-section was scheduled, and she, um, the priest was called, baby was baptized, baby went into surgery, and come to find out, um, unfortunately, wasn't going to make it. God had bigger plans and wanted a direct, direct line to heaven for this baby. And unfortunately, Peter passed a few weeks ago and the funeral was this past week and so this year I'm uh, I'm marching for Peter and his family and my senior community back home in particular so well I'm sure uh, all of our, our listeners out there you know we can we should offer a prayer today for Peter and for all the babies of the unborn Andrew thank you for um, sharing that with us and you know I wish you and your friends the best of luck today um, and uh, yeah I hope you, you hope you have a good day in DC absolutely and, uh, Enjoy this march. Thanks for taking the time Thank to talk with us. Thank you for the call, Ben. Take Absolutely. care. So that was Andrew Sheffs. He's a sophomore at the college, also an Alpha Tau Omega fraternity brother like myself, and he's in Washington, D.C. today, like many of the Hillsdale College students who made it out for the March for Life. Now, President Trump is set to address in a couple of hours um, many of the, the marchers from this march, and the question is, will this change how the media typically covers the March for Life? This is the first time, like Andrew mentioned in his interview, that the president of the United States has ever addressed the march in person. President Trump has done so before via video conference. And Vice President Pence, of course, has addressed them. I believe he did that last year. But this will be the first time that a sitting president actually addresses them in person. And um, what the supporters of the march are hoping is that this will draw additional attention since this does tend to be the type of event that the media typically ignores especially the the unfavorable media so cnn for instance when they pushed out a notification announcing that president trump was going to be attending this march they described it as an anti-abortion rally this is typical in the media you'll see um according to the ap associated press styling guide it says to reference pro-life events as anti-abortion events, kind of setting up the, the way that these things are portrayed in the media early on for failure, not success. Um, and, you know, it's funny. This is the second march we've seen this week in which conservative groups have gone out. The, uh, and, and many have looked at how the media has decided and sought to portray these groups. Of course, earlier this week, we had the Second Amendment march in Richmond, Virginia, not too far from Washington, D.C., a lot of people questioned during that march, um, you know, whether or not this was a white supremacist march, whether or not it was white nationalists that would be marching. And of course, Twitter blew up on Monday because many of the people, in fact, marching were not white. They were African-American or Asian-American, and they were holding posters saying, you know, does this look like a white supremacist march to you? And it embarrassed a lot in the media. If you don't believe me, hear it for yourself. Here's MSNBC describing the march on Monday. And then I want to play you perhaps the most surprising clip. you got to love it. AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's always got something great to say about whatever's happening. And she has some complaints about the fact that there weren't more police present at that march. And just like Andrew stated at, at the uh, March for Life march, it, it seems to be relatively peaceful so far. So maybe there's something to be said about that. We'll get to that later. First, let's hear MSNBC and um, NBC News as well describe the march earlier this week as they, you know, continue to peddle their narrative of what conservative right-wing Second Amendment marches look like. 
thousands of gun rights activists, white nationalists, militia groups all swarming the Virginia state capitol. Virginia's governor has declared a state of emergency, hoping to avoid a repeat of the deadly protests in Charlottesville in 2017. So that was first MSNBC. Now we just heard NBC. You can hear uh, CNN as well. Um, you know, all of these guys, <laughs> they want to draw attention to what happened in Charlottesville. It's as if they are wishing, as terrible as it is to say, as if they are wishing for another Charlottesville um, rally because there's nothing they like more on the left in the media than to show that racism still exists in America, that Donald Trump is somehow fueling um, this massive rise of blatant and overt neo-Nazism around the country. And the reality is it's just... just not true. Um, the left seems to seriously misunderstand the opposition that they're dealing with. They, the ones that are so fervently anti-Second Amendment don't understand even perhaps those that, stand, that like the Second Amendment, that, that believe in it. Um, the idea of a bunch of people marching in the street with guns scares them. And it, it demonstrates a lot about the, the major divide you see in this, this country today. Now, the differences between, let's say, a, 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 um, a rally or a march of these uh, Second Amendment marchers versus, you know, the, the, the marches that we saw, let's say, the Women's March, the march, the first Women's March, the one we saw when President Trump was inaugurated, or some of the protests we've seen in Portland with Antifa, is, is, you know, there were violence in the far left ones. We haven't seen that, um, at least this week, from what we saw in Charlotte's, or excuse me, in Richmond, and um, now so far today in, in the March for Life as well, um, which, which makes you really question, question what the, the central message is of these things. You know, um, just because you have guns does not mean that those guns are, you know, equated to murder or violence, um, unjust violence. Um, this seems to be the, the path of logic that those on the left follow. Uh, it's, it's why, you know, when conservatives say, well, the problem is not the gun, it's the person shooting the gun. That's just not enough for them. And I think what we saw earlier this week in Richmond really challenges that narrative. Um, we saw a lot of citizens that almost, you know, kind of reminded those leaders that, you know, hey, there are still a significant amount of people that, that, that believe in the Second Amendment, and it's, it's not going to be easy to take away these guns. I don't know if that's necessarily, I don't think that's a bad thing. And um, quite frankly, I thought it was, it was great to see. Um, and it was, it was a big victory uh, for, for those in Virginia. It has a lot of people even questioning whether or not Virginia is going to be a swing state again. That's something that remains to be seen. You know, in the last couple of years, it has really moved towards blue, and that's ba mainly because of the suburbs of D.C., where you've seen a lot of wealthy liberals uh, move in as they get their jobs in D.C., and the bureaucratic state has kind of expanded. Um, D Virginia overall has become a more solidly blue state in past presidential elections. Um, but, you know, with Ralph Northam, who ironically, you know, this is the governor who called in the state uh, of emergency to stop the supposed white supremacists from taking over the building, Let's not forget, this is the same guy that, you know, has been seen wearing blackface in college 
um, KKK costumes, all that, and all those pictures. Very ironic. That was also all over Twitter. Um, that and he's supposedly the guy that that is not the problem. It's the 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 peaceful protesters who are abiding by their Second Amendment rights. Um, but you know, it just it just goes to show you, you know, just solid differences in the way these people um, think. Now I want to show you what AOC had to say. And, you know, I'm going to play the full clip of this, this interview that I guess happened earlier this week. I think, I think it was Monday, actually. I want you to hear what she had to say about this protest um, and her complaints. And then also, um, you know, what she starts out this clip with. It's not even really related, but, you know, it's AOC. It's outrageous. So we, we got to cover it. It's, it's fun to talk about. I, I won't lie. I enjoy playing these clips a lot of the time. So let's hear Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez earlier this week. And, um, and that's the kind of organizing that's required, but that organizing challenges many of the operating tenets mm -hmm. that the United States was founded on, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, including racism, but mm -hmm. also including the protection of capital over mm -hmm. human beings. Mm -hmm. So let's start there. First, let's make it clear. AOC, like Bernie Sanders, believes the country, one of the core principles America was founded on, racism, and, uh, oh yeah, the, the protection of capital over human beings. So um, clearly AOC does not believe the, believe the founders were serious about the Declaration of Independence. Um, all men are created equal and that they are endowed with inalienable rights. But that, that should come as no surprise if you read A People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn, the renowned communist. You know, he writes this stuff up for these guys. I mean, this is history rewashed as they perceive it. It's not the Hillsdale education um, you, you, you deserve to have, or, you know, just the education of American civics you deserve to have about uh, what the American, you know, mission statement really was, the principles our country was founded on. They weren't racist. In fact, the people that argued um, against the Constitution and against the perpetuation of our union in the Civil War wanted to replace America's principles with more racist principles. Um, but, but never mind that. That's, that's not going to happen for AOC. So she here is making the observation that the march... In Richmond earlier this week was organized by white nationalists. Um, this theory has since been debunked, and she now looks ridiculous. But let's continue and hear what she has to say about her complaints about this rally. And, um, you know, another thing that I've been really thinking and sitting with today is that we ha there's this um, gun rights protest that's right. happening right. down in Richmond. Right. And on MLK Day. On MLK Day. <laughs> but here's the image that has struck with me the most about that is that when we go out and march for the dignity and the recognition of the lives of people like Freddie Gray mm -hmm. and Eric Garner, mm -hmm. the whole place is surrounded by police in riot gear mm -hmm. without a gun in sight. Mm -hmm. And here are all of these people um, flying Confederate flags with mm -hmm. semi-automatic weapons, mm -hmm. and there's almost no police officers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at that protest. Okay, so first of all, where were the Confederate flags? That's an assumption she makes. She clearly hasn't seen footage of the rally because she's talking as the rally's happening. Um, the Confederate flags weren't there. You, you really should go online. The, the best part about this rally, the, the biggest troll of it all, is all the people who were African-American, like I said, Asian-American at this rally, basically like, okay, where, where is, if this is a white supremacist rally, this is a pretty bad one. <laughs> I mean, seriously. But, of course, this is not the narrative that, that AOC wants to sell. 
Um, furthermore, you know, she doesn't understand why, you know, the police could be showing up to some events and, and not to others. There's a very good explanation for this. Um, when protesters get violent, then there usually tends to be the need for, for riot gear. When they are not violent, then there is not the need for, for riot gear. Um, and, 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 you know, it's not very hard to understand. There were no breaking of windows. If you remember back to the Women's March, I remember the first one because I was in D.C. at the time. It was scary. And it wasn't scary. I wasn't scared based on what the Trump supporters were doing because, quite honestly, you, you could see a very big difference in the crowds because one crowd was violent and the other crowd was not. And, and the crowd that was violent, I, you know, I saw store windows get shattered. Um, they were lighting things on fire. You, stu- you stayed away from the, the, the Antifa protests that were very clearly um, going on. And, you know, if you, if you act with violence, I mean, hey, it's, it's Martin Luther King Day. This shouldn't be that hard to understand. Just having a gun, by the way, you know, having a Second Amendment march, holding a gun does not mean that you are pro-violence. That's another stupid assumption that you see on the left. That if we are pro-Second Amendment, we're pro-school shooting, pro-violence. Don't, don't buy that please. Um, but AOC goes on and, and, you know, um, uh, and she continues to blast that. So this is, this is a great, great clip worth remembering on this day. So, you know, now of course we have another March today. It happens every year. Um, there, there is debatedly sometimes been in recent years been, uh, you know, attended by more people than the, the past women's marches have, but the media will fail to most likely cover it. Um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see today what President Trump has to say and how everybody reacts to that. Um, so we will, we will watch that closely. So right now you've been listening to American View on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM, where Hillsdale meets the nation, folks. It's a Friday, uh, January 24th. Good to be with you. Um, and now as we move forward, we got to talk about impeachment this week. Oh, boy, this is, this is great stuff. So Adam Schiff, of course, um, is leading. They, that's who they decided to send over to lead the arguments with Jerry Nadler, two great guys, <laughs> to lead the arguments for the Democrats in their opening statements. They're already coming under fire. Um, Jerry Nadler, for starters, is coming under fire because he has accused the Senate of being under trial himself. itself. This upset, apparently, this is just in the news today, Suzanne Collins so much that she passed a note over to Chief Justice, to the Chief Justice um, of the Supreme Court, because of the fact that he who is sitting as the, the head um, judge on this trial, she passed a note over him because she was so upset with the decorum violations that had occurred. Um, and, and quite frankly, I don't, I don't blame her. You have to hear for yourself what Jerry and Adler had to say, and then question, I mean, is this guy serious? Is, it, you know, they, they sound almost like crybabies at this point. It's like, if you don't get your way... You're all guilty. Um, it's incredible, really, to hear these adult men and what they have to say. But what, why don't we play some of that? So here is Jerry Nadler um, in comments that really upset a lot of people in the Senate. The president is on trial in the Senate, but the Senate is on trial in the eyes of the American people. Will you vote to allow all of the relevant evidence to be presented here? Or will you betray your pledge to be an impartial juror? Will you bring Ambassador Bolton here? Will you permit us to present you with the entire record of the president's misconduct? Or will you instead choose to be complicit 
in the president's cover-up. So far, I'm sad to say, I see a lot of senators voting for a cover-up, voting to deny witnesses, an absolutely indefensible vote, obviously a treacherous vote, a, tr a, vo a vote against an honest consideration of the evidence of the, against the president, a vote against an honest trial, a vote against the United States. A real trial, we know, has witnesses. We urge you to do, the du to do your duty, permit a fair trial. All the witnesses must be permitted. That's elementary in American justice. Either you want the truth, or you, and you must permit the witnesses, or you want a shameful cover-up. History will judge, and so will the electorate. All right, that's Jerry Nadler. Hey, right, here's a tip, Jerry Nadler. You know what else a real trial has normally? It usually has some sort of, uh, you know, some sort of crime that you're prosecuting over, some sort of criminal offense that the trial is based on. That's one thing the Democrats have not been able to come up with, um, as they argue that the crimes the president has uh, committed um, may not be criminal, but, you know, certainly, you know, are what qualify as impeachable offenses. More on impeachment, more on what your other favorite Democrat, Adam Schiff, had to say when we get back from break. Um, we'll have all of that um, in just a little bit. So stay with us. This has been American View on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Like I said, when you get back, it's time you hear whether or not the Democrats really have the right to cite the founders in their arguments. We'll have all of that. You're on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. protect, cherish, and defend the dignity and the sanctity of every human life. When we see the image of a baby in the womb, we glimpse the majesty of God's creation. When we hold a newborn in our arms, we know the endless love that each child brings to a family. When we watch a child grow, we see the splendor that radiates from each human soul. One life changes the world from my family, and I can tell you I send love, and I send great, great love. And from the first day in office, I've taken a historic action to support America's families and to protect the unborn. You're listening to American View here on Radio Free Hillsdale as we're tuning into the live address of President Trump at the March for Life in Washington, D.C. Um, as he addresses the thousands of marchers for the first time ever uh, in American history that an American president, sitting American president, has addressed them in person. Um, if you joined us in the first half, we interviewed one of the Hillsdale students who made the trip out there, and we'll listen a little bit more here before we continue on with our show. Policies or that encourages the destruction of human life.
At the United Nations, I made clear that global bureaucrats have no business attacking the sovereignty of nations that protect innocent life. Unborn children have never had a stronger defender in the White House. And as the Bible tells us, each person is wonderfully made. We have taken decisive action to protect the religious liberty. So important. All right. So that's President Trump. And this is exactly what his team wanted today. You know, as the impeachment um, hearings continue, as, as the Democrats continue to make their opening arguments, President Trump is getting his own stage today um, with a very important demographic of supporters, um, Christian supporters, those that are pro-life. And uh, he has effectively, you know, he says he's the most pro-life president. And to be fair, he is the first president ever to address them. And um, he's done a lot so far in the administration uh, to to be pro-religious freedom. Recently, he just signed an executive action that is supposed to protect students that want to pray at school, um, not forcing all students to do so, but at least giving the liberty um, for those that decide to do so um, and allowing them places to do that. So we'll continue to monitor what's happening in D.C., though. You know, in the meantime, we got to show you a little bit more fun from from uh, impeachment this week. Adam Schiff, you know, you got to love the guy. Of course, this is the guy that, let's not forget, um, perpetuated the Russia collusion hoax for so long. And um, even when it was clear there was no evidence, he treated this as the most serious thing. So, so he's literally like the girl who cried wolf in a lot of ways because first you have him, you know, lie out, outright about that. Then when this whole... Um, phone call in Ukraine started. Of course, he made up a fake phone call that he read in the house and uh, acted like it was a real phone call. It was made up. In fact, it was a text that he had derived himself as to what he believed or wanted the call to be. Now, that was okay with Pelosi, you know, because apparently everybody understood that wasn't a real phone call. It didn't matter that, you know, it can be completely misportrayed. Um, a lot of people would say that's libel, <laughs> but, you know, he's a he's a congressman. We won't hold him up to any standards. That's that's ridiculous. So Adam Schiff is now delivering his address and opening arguments to the the Senate. And, you know, Nadler came under some fire. It's pretty funny to hear uh, Schiff, this guy who literally, I don't know, I don't think any Republicans that really respect this guy, um, talk about what hallow grounds uh, the Senate is and how important it is that we take this seriously. Let's hear from Adam Schiff. In this hallowed chamber, undertaking this solemn action for only the third time in history because Donald J. Trump, the 45th President of the United States, has acted precisely as Hamilton and his contemporaries feared. President Trump solicited foreign interference in our democratic elections, abusing the power of his office to seek help from abroad to improve his reelection prospects at home. And when he was caught, he used the powers of that office to obstruct the investigation into his own misconduct. So that's Adam Schiff. We're going to talk about the Hamilton thing in a second, because this is something we've seen up, you know, come up again and again and again. Suddenly the Democrats are for, you know, restoring the vision the founders have. Never mind that they want to throw out the Electoral College. Never mind that they don't care about your Second Amendment rights. 
Um, they're they're very pro founding fathers, pro constitution, at least when it allows them to impeach Donald Trump. So we're going to get to that. First, though, the best part about this is that apparently while this was all happening, he's talking about hallowed ground. A lot of senators, even some from his own party, are reportedly yawning in the back of the Senate, um, trying to cover their eyes as they take naps. Um, even the senators are having trouble pretending that they are interested in these impeachment trials. Um, you know, they're supposed to be the ones that that are uh, getting paid to be there. But even they are, are struggling to stay interested as shift goes on for what I think they've all heard plenty of times before. Quite frankly, this stuff has kind of lost its originality at this point. We've we've heard these arguments over and over again. Um, but, you know, you got to get a kick out of this whole hallowed ground line. And I, I just want to bring this up. I mean, he treats this stuff like it. He talks about his job like it's sacred. He talks about the Senate and the House like these are sacred places. Like uh, Hamilton um, is a sacred hero and that he's on the side of good and Trump is on the side of evil. And this is the argument that the Democrats have been trying to portray from the the very beginning of this impeachment trial. And, you know, it really does harm your argument. And and, and Pelosi should have known this when she asked Schiff to do this, you know, when she asked him to be the guy leading the argument. It's going to harm your argument when you just don't have credibility speaking out of the person who's who's making the arguments. I mean, you by choosing Adam Schiff, you quite possibly chose the least credible congressman uh, other than perhaps Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and any of the younger, you know, gang of gang of five that that would have, you know, surely been unqualified. And of course, of course, Schiff and Nadler were leading the two committees that approved the impeachment, um, the two impeachment chart or articles. But but still, I mean, these two gentlemen are literally have such little credibility with at least half of the American public. And and here he is once again, people struggling to stay awake. Um in the audacity of him to, to, to quote the founders here, um, I find remarkable. I find it so remarkable. Nancy Pelosi did the same thing. If you remember when we talked about when they first opened these impeachment proceedings in the House, Nancy Pelosi, you know, of course, quoted uh, Ben Franklin, a republic, if you can keep it. That line has, has become such a cliche these last couple months. Um, and they have made themselves the noble defenders of democracy in a republic. Um, and it, I mean... At the same time, can you can you do that when just earlier this week, just earlier this week, never mind the the whole electoral college and all the other parts of the Constitution that just chewed up and ignored half the time, but even the Second Amendment, I mean, even the Second Amendment, they honestly, if they had it their way, would have never existed. Um, the idea that a a group of people other than the government have the right to defend themselves, have the right to you know bear arms, something that's uniquely American, but because the rest of the world hasn't really bought into it, for them, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, this is nothing but a power grab, as is uh, a lot of the other things they support. Case in point, you know, going back to the Electoral College, they want to support the Constitution where it is convenient for them to basically make their power larger, to, 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 to collect it together. If it means getting rid of a system that makes it harder for them to win elections and to have more seats in Congress or to, to have hold the presidency, then by all means, get rid of it. Um, you know, if it means that it's going to prevent them from instituting a wealth tax, e.g. Elizabeth Warren, um, then we, we could ignore that part of the Constitution. Um, you know, I, I think we'll find that when it comes down to when Elizabeth Warren, if she ever gets the chance to institute her wealth tax, which... I hope she never does, but I, I guarantee you she won't be citing 
um, Alexander Hamilton, or at least not honestly, because there is no way if you can you can look at the literal text that he wrote about that, and um, he was certainly against um, a wealth tax in the sense that it would it would qualify as a as a direct tax, which the Constitution would forbid in the way that Elizabeth Warren wants it to be. Um, but you know the reality is the founding fathers, I, I honestly believe, would not not have been in favor for this this impeachment. And there's one very simple thing that I think really separates this from a serious impeachment um, that you've seen in the past. First of all, there's a part in which Hamilton, that the part that, that uh, you know, um, Schiff is quoting here, he actually goes on to quote part of Hamilton. Uh, and you know what, why don't, why don't we go ahead and play that? We'll play that and then we'll, we'll talk about this. So here's Schiff quoting Hamilton. You know, he already mentioned him a bit. Later on, he, he has to quote what he calls the prophetic Alexander Hamilton in private life, desperate in his fortune, bold in his temper, possessed of considerable talents, having the advantage of military habits, despotic in his ordinary demeanor, known to have scoffed in private at the principles of liberty. When such a man is seen to mount the hobby horse of popularity, to join in the cry of danger to liberty, to take every opportunity of embarrassing the general government and bringing it under suspicion to flatter and fall in with all the nonsense of the zealots of the day. It may justly be suspected that his object is to throw things into confusion, that he might ride the storm and direct the whirlwind. Those words were written by Alexander Hamilton in a letter to President George Washington at the height of the Panic of 1792, a financial credit crisis that shook our young nation. Hamilton was responding to sentiments relayed to Washington as he traveled the country that America, in the face of that crisis, might descend from a Republican form of government plunging instead into that of monarchy. The framers of the Constitution worried then, as we worry today, that a leader might come to power not to carry out the will of the people that he was elected to represent, but to pursue his own interests. They feared that a president would subvert our democracy. All right. So <laughs> the, here we have, you know, Hamilton uh, being quoted by Adam Schiff, um, which he's right. It was in a letter to George Washington. But, but first of all, what Hamilton was doing here was res re responding to criticism of those that did not want a national bank in the United States. Um, and he's responding to criticism that, you know, by creating a national bank, this would in turn, you know, create despotism in the United States. He is arguing for why, you know, this is not despotism. This is what despotism actually looks like. This is not um, in context with what would qualify as impeachment. Um, it would be misleading to suggest that Hamilton is talking specifically about the leader, that, the type of leader that uh, should be impeached. But even so, um, it's worth mentioning that this line was actually used by Jerry Nadler as well. Jerry Nadler took out some words that he apparently didn't think described Trump well enough, so they took out the part that described him as um, being smart, you know, being fortunate, as uh, being um, a good military leader as well. That was removed, funny enough. But no, so this quote, though, the point about this is, you know, look, Hamilton used this in a debate in which he was really upset with the opposing side that he was dealing with, um, the opposing party that Washington was dealing with uh, at, at the time of, um, uh, of this writing in 1792. He did not think of impeaching 
as a political weapon. And neither would of the opposing party in this case, the Federalists or the Anti-Federalists. Neither of them would have seen impeachment as a political tool um, to solve problems in their republic. Why? Because they understood that elections mattered and if they resorted to you know constitutional means to remove leaders they politically disagreed with, that would very much and very well um, basically get rid of the whole the whole uh, democracy itself, the republic itself. Ballots rather than bullets is the famous phrase that, of course, Abraham Lincoln would echo later on. Um, and it's so important to understand because at the, at the time of the American Revolution, it was really such a revolutionary idea for, for a country to trust a free transfer of power, a transfer of power that did not come through war, that came simply by voting, and that the other side would respect that. That was what was so sacred in the Constitution. And the idea that impeachment would be used just because another side didn't like who had won, just because they didn't like the fact that the Electoral College existed, and despite them winning the popular vote, they didn't get it get the presidency as the Constitution laid out. That, that's what's happened here. You know, nobody should take Adam Schiff seriously. Nobody should take the Democrats seriously. When you've had people on their side saying, we need to impeach the expletive expletive, we're going to do that. You know, saying the day that President Trump is elected, that this is their goal. There's been no hiding behind what their, their honest goals are and, and, and in my opinion, the only reason that impeachment has accelerated and become something that was actually addressed is because Nancy Pelosi finally caved. And honestly, probably the reason she did that is because of the realization that, you know, in September they were really hoping that the economy was going to crash and it just got stronger. The economy is doing great. The, the Democrats' primary candidates don't look particularly strong right now. Um, there was a new poll that just recently came out in Florida that showed President Trump leading every single Democratic contender in a head-to-head -head contest. And we all know that these polls don't tend to be completely accurate in measuring up um, the president's support as it, as it actually transfers into voting, at least not the last time. So the fact that they would turn to impeachment as a way to take on a political appointment, uh, opponent, I'm just saying, if you buy that, if you buy that this was political in the slightest... And I'll let you decide that. You know, um, I haven't been as interested in, in arguing in the specifics of, of what the Democrats are arguing simply because I think it's just so obvious that this has been political. And if, if you really got to be, you know, if it really you have to dive into the specifics that much to explain to me why this president needs to be removed from office, if it's really not that obvious, because from my understanding of the phone call, I read the script countless times. I just, I just don't see it. Um, their expectations of what this president has been have all, or, you know, what this president ought to be have always been so different from the very expectations that they hold themselves to the way in which they politicize their own jobs. I mean, if you don't believe me, I mean, Jerry Nadler earlier in the show, we played the clip of him basically saying, Hey, if you don't go along with us, you're just as bad as the president basically saying, get out of the way or get on board. Or we will condemn you to, you know, to hell, just like we have this president. And this is 
this is what people that simply want power want. And they're, they're willing to stop at nothing in the way of getting their power, even if it means destroying American democracy. So I just find it hard to take, I don't know, Adam Schiff, Jerry Nadler seriously, because if they really want to talk about what destroys a democracy, let's not forget that, you know, America led the example for the world because of the fact that when George Washington retired from the presidency and was replaced, you know, that, um, that when the presidency was transferred for the first time, it was peaceful. And that idea of two sides that really disagreed with each other, um, giving in to the other side, you know, even though there was some budging, impeachment wasn't used then. And it was the same argument that Lincoln had to make, you know, up to the Civil War, that there are better ways in which we can solve these disagreements. That, you know, we need to believe in the institutions themselves. And that's why I think we're having this debate, which is what I want to leave you guys with today is, I question whether or not we will ever return to a function of civil discourse in this country if we don't have some common premise that we all agree on. If half of us believe like AOC, we played her earlier on the show, that this country was founded on racist principles, that our principles, translation, are fundamentally wrong. That's what she wants you to believe, that they're fundamentally wrong and that they need to change. If you believe that, or if you believe that the principles of this country, that this country were founded on, are what allowed us to escape the injustices of slavery. That they are what allowed us to overcome the injustices of racism. That are not unique to America, racism and slavery, but quite frankly, are problems that the, the human race has experienced since the dawn of time. And that the American idea of equality before the law and equality before God is what allowed us to create one of the freest and most prosperous societies on earth. If you don't believe in those Republican principles, the mission statement of this country, let alone if you don't understand it, well, then... I think it allows for these types of impeachment shams to happen in which we, we have allowed a party that is supposed to represent half this country, the Democrats, to take over our Republican institutions and rather than pass laws, focus on removing a political candidate or a president simply because they don't like him. What has gotten us to that point? That's what I hope we all think about this weekend, folks. Um, because, you know, there's a lot more at stake than just Donald J. Trump. But we'll continue to follow all of this. I've been Ben Dietrich here. You've been listening to American View on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. You know, be sure to follow us on Facebook, American View, WRFH. You can follow me as well on Twitter, Ben underscore D-I-E. TD. And um, you can also check us out on Spotify and SoundCloud as well. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. We hope you'll continue to follow our show. Give us a comment, like I said, on Facebook as well. And we look forward to seeing you and talking with you on Monday. This is Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.